So we have another episode of Mike at the Movies. Yay! This time, uh, analog edition. Yay! And we have been talking about this for weeks. I believe you're probably very excited about this one because I feel like we've been talking about it for more than we have our previous Mike and the Movies. And today's episode is all about True Lies, the 1994 Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. Yes. Um, so I wanted to kind of, because I would like to... I have a couple of the things that I want to mention. One, like a programming thing from like the notes that I took and the way I want to do this is I feel like in, in previous Mike at the Movies episodes on both Analog and Upgrade, I've been way too tied to going like moment by moment in the movie mm-hmm. and I don't mm-hmm. really want to do that so much. That's fine. That's fine. Um, and so I have actually taken less. I've still got lots of notes, but I've taken less notes because what I have found is that I take tons of notes in like the first 30 minutes and then it really calms down because <laughs> like I get into the movie so I don't take as many notes. Um, so I was being a bit conscious about that. But I want to know from you, why have we? Why are we doing this movie? Like why True Lies? Sure. So I don't remember when I saw this movie for the first time and it will become obvious later on how awkward this is, but I saw it when I was relatively young. Probably, yeah, yeah, probably in high school would be my guess, which... And this is uh, rated R. Right. There will be people that get what that joke was, and I I hope that they enjoy it. Yeah. You don't get it. I do not get it. I'm assuming this is some sort of Britishism? No. Okay. But you don't even have rated R, do you? Uh, We have 18. Just the number 18. Number 18. Our, our ratings, except for... So we have U for Universal, uh, PG for Parental Guidance. Oh, we have then that we one. have 12, 12A, what the heck which is, is the a 12-year-old can see it, but they need to have an adult. Interesting. Okay. Then we have 16 and 18. Wow. That's a lot of different uh, options there. Because we have G, which is your... What did you say? U for Universal. Ours is G for basically general audiences. PG, just like yours, parental guidance. PG-13, which sounds like... Um, 12A. Right. I don't know if a parent is required, though. I think it might be suggested for 13 and under. I don't recall. And then um, rated R, which is, I believe, restricted is what it stands for. And you definitely cannot get in unless you either have a parent or you're over, I believe it's 17 or 18 years old. This is rated R. Right. Um, rated so R. this movie, I love this movie. I I don't even really know how to describe why I love it, or maybe even I don't know why I love it, but I just do. So True Lies in general is kind of an action comedy in the same spirit, I think, as, say, like a Die Hard, um, where there's certainly action in it. And it's theoretically, thematically an action movie, but there's a lot of comedy in it. And in many ways, I think it's kind of a spoof of James Bond movies, I think I'm reaching a little bit on that one. I don't think that's quite so clear, but I think that in spirit, there's a lot of kind of like quasi James Bond sort of things happening. Um, I love this movie. I saw it when I was relatively young, which was probably inappropriate, but you know, I made it through. Okay. Um, And I always thought it was an awesome movie. I thought that the action was well done. Um, I thought the special effects were very believable and actually I have some thoughts on that for later on. But the thing I loved about it is that I just thought it was a funny movie and unlike just a straight up comedy, it, it kind of tickles both of those, you know, um, the, the, those things. It, it, it really makes 
me enjoy it when it's not only comedy and not only action, but the combination of the, of the both of them. And I, I just always love this movie. Um, I would say that of the movies we've done for Mike at the movies on analog, I would say this is my least favorite of the ones that we've done, but I still freaking love this movie. Nevertheless. Okay. So I will, um, let me do my, my usual, my favorite part which is talking about what I knew or believe I knew or what I thought about this movie before I watched it. Mm-hmm. Um, I Obviously, I knew Arnie was in it because he's on the front. Um, I believed it would be an action movie. Uh, I know the poster. I don't know why, but I just know that like that look of him with the gun and the, the mm-hmm. grenade. Um, I expect lots of crazy uh, kind of action and a ton of montages. That is what I expect. <laughs> For some reason, I feel this is edging towards the 80s more than the 90s. That, that was what I believed going into it that I was going to be seeing. Okay. I barely knew nothing else to the point that I was very, very surprised to see that this was a James Cameron movie. Interesting. Okay. Well, like when it when it came on, I was like, okay, I didn't expect that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, like you know the 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 James Cameron of Aliens, Titanic, Avatar. Like I for some reason wasn't expecting what I thought was going to be a dumb action movie mm-hmm. to be directed by James Cameron. Oh, that's fair. Um, did you like it? Oh, we're doing that part now. But we yeah, don't have you to. Can't wait. Can I you? can't no, wait. No, no, we can. All right. I know. Uh, True Lies is a very weird movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's really, really weird. Ladies and gentlemen, that means that Mike didn't really like it, but I'm okay no, with no, that. No, 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 no. I did like this movie, but we will get to this. I feel like there's a good 45 minutes of this movie that should have been done very, very differently. <laughs> That's probably fair. All right. But outside of that, I really, really... And there, even there are parts in there that I enjoy... But I feel like some of the ways, some of the twists and turns in this story weren't um, explored properly mm-hmm. uh, or really explained, um, and they they kind of the movie takes some really strange kind of twists, um, which we'll get to. But overall, I really liked it, um, and I think the reason that I liked it so much was because James Cameron decided he wanted to make a James Bond movie. Yep. And and a comedy movie too. See, the comedy though, I don't really get that. This is nowhere near as much action comedy as Lethal Weapon. That is a good comparison and I think it's fair in saying that it is lighter on the on the uh, comedy than than Lethal Weapon was, but I still feel like yeah. it's very heavy compared to like a Born Ultimatum or, some, or Born Identity this, or something like that. This movie has more action thriller than action comedy for me. Interesting. Wow. Well, like, talk I, about th- that. There more. are jokes. There are jokes, but there are not many jokes. And it is it feels way more like um I know why you would say parody, and I feel like you're saying parody because it looks like a James Bond movie and there are jokes, mm. but I don't think it's like Austin Powers is a James Bond parody. Yeah, that's true lies true. comes nothing near that. That I will agree with. You're you're very right there. However, I I, I strongly disagree that it, there's not a lot of comedy in here. And maybe it's just that it didn't land well for you. Maybe I'm just easily amused, but I felt like most scenes had at least one comedic part to it. 
what well, see that's where I consider it different. Like there are, I felt there were light-hearted parts, but I didn't really see a lot of comedy. But I, th- I feel like for me, the comedy that was there was outweighed by other things. Okay, all right. So like, let's like thriller aspect. So let's maybe not go scene by scene, but maybe we can talk about a couple of broad strokes. Um, yeah, I want to talk about the opener. Yeah, that's exactly this is what I was why. I, this clearly tells me why this is a James Bond-like movie, because. You open on a mission that's already in action. You know nothing about the characters or or their motivations. This is completely James Bond. Um, He is on an unknown mission. You don't know whether he's good or bad. You know nothing about him. And he takes off his swimsuit and he's wearing a tuxedo. Yep. It couldn't be more James Bond. Like This is James Bond to the point of being close to parody, but I feel like that Cameron is intending this to be serious. I would agree with that. Um, and and also, the name True Lies is very James Bond. Yeah, you know, I never thought of that, but that's that's a very good point. Like a name that, like, on its own doesn't make sense. It makes sense when you then see the movie, but also, like, it is a sentence that doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, for example, like, you only live twice. Well, that doesn't make sense. Because <laughs> like, you don't, right? Right, right. Um, and other things like live and let die, the man with a golden gun. They're like, they're nice sounding things that don't really make any sense until you see the movie. And True Lies, True Lies, like it's still a little bit more tenuous, but like it's all about the double life, right? That's what Mm -hmm. this movie is all about. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of where like the True Lies comes in. Mm -hmm. Yep, that's absolutely true. (laughs) Um, By the way, quick aside, I have never seen a Connery James Bond. All right, okay. Okay, I know. It's uh, not because I've like intentionally avoided it. It's just never happened. And by the so, time I started listening to the Bond parts of the talk show back when it was on Five by Five with Dan Benjamin, they were already on to um, Roger Moore, and so I picked up with those. But I've never seen a Connery James Bond, uh, except I guess what that one that he did. Um, that one that he did like out of band, if you will, because we did watch. Yeah, never mm-hmm. say never again. I've yeah, never seen right. that movie. Okay, it's not a James Bond movie. So yeah, if we ever do a Casey at the cinema, maybe we'll do some James Bond movies. But um, the the lack of James Bond movies that you've seen really tells me why you think this is a comedy, because so there are for me as many jokes in this movie as there are in the Bond movie. Mm-hmm. But James Bond movies are not comedies. They I would are agree action with that. movies that have jokes in them. Like so, for example. Uh, as Arnie like oh, like he pulls off his swimsuit and he is in like his wetsuit and he's in his tux right and then he goes into the kitchen and comes out the kitchen and he like people come up to him like who are you and he starts barking orders at the staff which is a funny moment but it's in context of what's happening so this is that's exactly what Bond would do. Yeah, yeah, that's so the true. way he fits in is by doing something that's kind of funny to us, but it's only funny because we know the context, the real true context. Yeah, that, and I understand what you're saying. And to be clear, I've seen, to my recollection, every James Bond beginning with Roger Moore's. Um, and I and I grew up, if you will, like the first James Bonds I'd ever seen were uh, Pierce Brosnan's. And I actually think Brosnan was a fine Bond. I, I'm not saying I'm right in that opinion, but that's how I feel about it. Um, and I and I love Daniel Craig as Bond, although I don't necessarily love the movies that much. But anyway, um, I understand Skyfall what you're saying. Skyfall is a masterpiece. A Skyfall if you're a James Bond fan, Skyfall is a masterpiece. Skyfall so much fan good. service in there. 
Um, but I, I, let me tell you, man, oof, I'm so excited for Spectre. Oh, I cannot wait for Spectre. I'm also really excited for Star Wars. Do you know we get Star Wars a day early? The UK does? Yeah. Well, why? Uh, I'm not 100% sure. I think it's something... I actually, do you know what? I don't know. France gets it two days early because they have this new law where it's like movies have to be shown on Wednesdays. But yeah, it comes out here on Thursday. So I'm considering a midnight showing on the Wednesday. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or I'm just going to go and see it in the afternoon on the Thursday. I have to see it on the Thursday so I can tweet about the fact that I've seen it. It's the only reason I want to see it of on the course. Thursday. Like, obviously, I, I, want, I really want to see the movie. I want to see it as soon as I can. But the only reason that I would go and see it, like, 11 a.m. on Thursday, is so I can tweet and say, I've seen Star Wars. Suck it. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> yeah, you don't get this moment very often, do you? You know, I'm not even no. sure I'll end up seeing it in the theaters. Because Adina wants to see it. So I will have to go and see it again, right? Mm-hmm. Because she's not going to see it over now on a Thursday. But I have to see it before it is possible to be seen in America. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I'm not that amped up about it. I can take no, relief. Star Wars. Go. You gotta go. We'll see. I'll probably have to go just so this way I can participate on the internet for the next six years. But that's part of it. But it's an event, right? This is this is a real event. A Meh. new Star Wars movie that could be good. Me. That hasn't happened in many decades. It's not happened since I was alive. Eh, well, no, that's not true. Phantom was... Menace could have been good, couldn't it? I don't remember it. I've seen it, but I don't remember it. Well, no, but the idea being like going into it, I don't think anybody expected it would be as bad as it ended up being. True. Right? We all expected it to be good. Yeah. Um, what, are we movie- what movie are we talking about right now? I don't even remember. We're talking about... Uh, Cocktail. The oh, excellent. 1990s Tom Cruise movie. <laughs> no, so anyway, so so I guess the reason that I think this is a comedy, to jump ahead a little bit, or action comedy, basically comes down to Tom Arnold. And he plays, yeah. um, what is it, Arnold? A weird yeah. foil. Yes. Uh, or Albert, Albert, I'm sorry. Albert Gibson, who goes by Gibb. Um, pretty much everything that comes out of his mouth I think is hysterical. I thought Tom Arnold was cast perfectly. I thought yeah. he did a perfect job and I loved that character. And I think that he's probably my favorite character in the movie. He does a really great job. He says some stuff that's like super weird. Um, but he does a really good job overall, I think. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the, so to come back to the, to the opening scene, you know, so uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger who, quite clearly is the person we're supposed to be rooting for. You know, you figure that out relatively quickly. He's infiltrating somebody's house at some like really fancy schmancy black tie dinner party, um, doing a lot of social engineering to get what he wants. Like you were saying earlier, yelling at the wait staff just to distract them from the fact that he shouldn't be where he was. Um, um, it's starting to occur to me that at least in this movie and in sneakers, um, there's a lot of just social engineering, which I find really fascinating. Um, but nevertheless, he is in this place. He connects some magical box to a PC that interestingly makes a Mac startup sound when it starts. Yes, I got it right. I was going to ask you that question. I was like, hang on a minute. That's not <laughs> it right. It makes a Mac startup sound, but that's Windows 3.1. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was totally wrong, but that's okay. Um and so he's infiltrating this computer to presumably beam some files to to Gibb and uh, Faisal, who is uh, their other partner, both of whom are in some van outside the house. And they're trying to extract some information. The thing about that that's weird, that Mac Windows thing, is clearly Microsoft paid 
for product placement. Eh, you would multiple so. times in this movie, the Windows logo is shown. Oh, is there? Are there other times? That's the only one I noticed. There's a, at least one more time where the Windows logo is shown. I'm sure. I'm almost sure of it because hmm. I I didn't make a note of it. Made a note of it in my brain. But anyway, they still showed the Windows logo when they didn't need to show the Windows logo. Mm-hmm. Like you wouldn't show it because you'd probably need clearance for it. Right? Yeah, yeah. Because you don't need to. So it just it seems like Microsoft probably paid for product placement and then they played a Mac startup sound. That sounds really weird. But let, let me take a break, Casey, and then and then we'll we'll get back to this. Excellent. Because, uh, it's, it's the right time. Uh, this episode is brought to you by Hover, my favorite and the best way to buy and manage domain names. If you have an idea for a project or a new website or you know there's there's a domain that you've always just wanted to get your hands on, Hover is the place. They have all of the TODs you'd expect, .com, .co, .me. They also have all the crazy ones like .coffee, .academy, .fish, .ceo. Whatever takes your fancy, Hover have it. And they have great prices on all of them. They have over 200 options. Uh, $12.99 is where their .com domains start, which is great. And they have great fair prices across the board. And, you know, they have good prices. They don't try and uh, bolt on a bunch of different add-ons and extras and stuff like that, which will cost you tons of money. Hover believe in just charging fair prices for a good product with great customer service, which is exactly the type of way that I like to do business. Like, for example, Hover add who is privacy for free with all of the domains that support it. So if a, if a domain can have who is privacy, they will give you it for free. They even check that box automatically. So your private information is kept private. Unlike some other registrars that I had used before I saw the light of Hover um, that will make you pay for this, which is madness to me. You give a company your personal information and then they make you pay to keep it from the rest of the world. It seems crazy to me. Hover have really, really great customer support. They're like fanatical about it. It's so fantastic. They have a no-hold, no-wait, no-transfer telephone support policy. If you give somebody a call at Hover, you'll be talking to a real human who will help you. They're not going to pass you around. They're not going to throw you to some robots and to try and work out what's going on. They just deal with it. But if you do prefer the uh, touch of a computer rather than a uh, with a human on the phone, you can also get great email support. They have great documents and guides um, on their website if that's what you would prefer. And don't forget they have couple of great features hover valet where they will take all of the hassle out of switching from your current provider because they do it all for you and hover connect which is where if you go into your domain admin panel you can select the service that you want to connect your domain to it includes sites like squarespace tumblr shopify and many more and hover will automatically amend all of the relevant dns records for you so you no longer have to copy and paste strings of unknown numbers and text into domain admin panels to get all of your MX records and C names set up. They just take care of it for you. So go to hover.com and try them out. You want to use the code CASEMAN at checkout <laughs> and you will get 10% off your first purchase at hover.com and show your support for Analog and Relay FM. That's CASEMAN, C-A-S-E-M-A-N. Thank you so much to Hover for their support of this show. That is 100% of the time how Adina refers to you as the CASEMAN. <laughs> I don't know if I should be delighted or kind of scared it's, by that. It's really stuck with her. Um, right. She she forced it. She forced it to make it happen, and then it, and now it's stuck. And she's like, "How's case, man?" Like, <laughs> Goodness gracious! It's okay. <laughs> well, I don't even know what to think about that. All right, so we've infiltrated this uh, dinner party. Um, next thing you know, uh, Tia Carrere, who I will always and forever know from Wayne's World. Um, has somehow befriended Arnold Schwarzenegger and 
Next thing you know, they're now dancing together, the waltz or tango or something like that. Um, And that was a little bit random, but I guess it works. And eventually, you know, Tom Arnold is is telling uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger in his little earpiece, you know, oh, ditcher, 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 ditcher. Um, yeah, we got to go. We got to go. We got to go. And Arnold does. And he's walking out of the place. And, and, you know, and so Gibbs says to to Harry, who is Arnold Schwarzenegger's character, um, you know, what's your plan? And he says, well, I'm just gonna walk out the front door. <laughs> and so I think the answer was from uh, Gibb, hmm, ballsy. Stupid, but ballsy, which I thought was kind of funny. And so he walks out and he gets accosted by a guard and he says, can I see your invitation, please? And this is a very Bond moment to your point earlier, Mike. Sure, here's my invitation. And then he triggers an explosive halfway across the property and all hell breaks loose. Yes, my invitation. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And uh, then there's a chase through the snow, and somehow or another, uh, Arnold ends up defeating all these highly trained killers and guards and gets in the truck with Gibb and Faisal and escapes. So more of James Bond stuff. So I'm really enjoying the movie by this point, probably because it is so Bond-esque. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, the fact that he is tangoing of a lady when he should be escaping. And then when he does escape, it's a skiing scene, which is prevalent for all of James Bond. Mm-hmm. Skiing, skiing, skiing. And also, um, as Adina pointed out to me, uh, all of the bad guys fire spray bullets at uh, Harry. Uh, who is Arnold Schwarzenegger's character, and they miss him, and Harry shoots one bullet back, kills everybody. (laughs) Which is a very Bond thing to do. Yep. And, oh, oh, I really, really love when... um, I think it's when he gets back to the van... Uh, and he says to like one of the guys, whoever's in the front of the van, can you lean back a second? Yep, yep, yep. Lean back and he shoots someone. Mm -hmm. Love that. Love that. Yep. Then... uh, Kind of, you know, it's the next day and he Harry's getting home and uh, Albert, like, gives him a snow globe and you find out that he's a family man. He puts on his wedding ring and, like, I'm like, oh, this is an interesting turn. Like, I wasn't expecting this. Like, he's an actual family man. Like, they don't know anything about him uh, and the job that he does. Like, his wife, Jamie Lee Curtis. Um, it's Jamie Lee Curtis, isn't it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, Helen. Uh, believes that he that Harry is a computer salesman. Uh, he loves the computer industry. He says at one point, <laughs> which I thought was really funny. Yep. Um, and they kind of they seem to have a, a regularish looking life to the rest of the world, anyway. Yep, and and it's quickly made apparent, like you said, that that Helen has no idea what this double life is that he's leading, and is it's also made apparent very quickly that she's quite bored by his life. Like she doesn't really find his day-to-day to be particularly interesting nor entertaining. And later on, she says to one of her co-workers, you know, if I ever have tr- trouble sleeping, I just ask Harry to tell me about his day. And next thing you know, I'm passed out, um, which is kind of sad. And, and it's kind of funny because here it is, he has to maintain this lie about what he does day-to-day because he's a secret agent. Yeah, and like in other points in the movie, Helen like comments on how boring Harry is. Mm-hmm. how boring his life is. And of course, this is all set up for later, but right. don't know at that point. Um, I like that when Albert comes to the house and basically has Google Glass. <laughs> I never thought of it that way, but that's true. 
<laughs> oh, that's very funny. So it's like a pair of sunglasses with a little screen in them. Oh, and it's so um, 90s technology because just like you said, it's a pair of sunglasses that like on the inside of the, I think it was a left lens, they basically strapped like a postage stamp sized TV to the inside of it, um, which is just hysterical. But but that, that becomes relevant later on and they use it to catch uh, Dana, Arnold's daughter, uh, going into Gibbs' coat to, to steal a little bit of his money. Um, and by the way, I love the the Dana was playing Sunshine of Your Love by Cream um, in her Walkman as she was leaving the house. That made me happy because um, I grew up on that song, basically. So uh, but anyway, so so Gib comes to collect Harry for work. He ends up pouring Harry a cup of coffee at Harry's house to give to Harry, which is just kind of like indicative of their relationship. And then they go off yep. to work. So they arrive at a, a place um, and they have, like, great security, you know, like, they go in through this, like, secret door, and, like, there's these long white corridors, and they go to, the like, the receptionist who has a gun under the desk at them, and they work for something called Omega Sector. Do you know what Omega Sector is? Is it part of the government? Is it private? Uh, my understanding is it's part of the government, and it's, like, the part of the government that when the CIA or FBI or what have you can't get something done they go to the Omega sector. And right on the, the thing on the, on the logo on the floor, it said the last line of defense. And it was interesting because Erin pointed out to me, because uh, she was watching it with me in the same way that Adina was watching it with you. Um, she pointed out to me that Omega is actually the last letter in the Greek alphabet. So that fits with it being the last line of defense, mm, which I'd never that. put that together. Um, but anyway, but I, my assumption is it's a government agency. Um, their boss has an eye patch. Yes, which it didn't even occur to me. Like I knew it was Charlton Heston, and it was a little cameo, which I thought was really well done. Um, they get into a conversation about the levels of failure from, you know, I forget how they phrased it, but something like, you know, a successful mission to a total pooch screw on the other side, with, with you know, with reference to screwing the pooch, which I just thought was hysterical. Um, but apparently, that eye patch was intended to be a throwback to Nick Fury, which I did not even put together. Okay. Yep. No, I see that. Yeah. But uh, so they try to talk about the stuff they pulled from this computer and they realize they don't know anything is what it basically boils down to. Yeah. And then Arnie uh, goes to see the lady Juno again, right? Yep. The lady that he's tangled with. Yeah. And um, and he announces or they, they come up the three like cohorts uh gib faisal and, and and harry decide that they're going to have harry go visit uh juno skinner tia career and so faisal and gib see this is where it jumps from like an action movie to like an action comedy in my mind anyway is this these sorts of moments so gib looks at um faisal or perhaps vice versa and says would you like to tango and, and the answer is, yes, I would. And then Faisal again like, throws his head back dramatically as though he's some striking young woman. And they sure. start dancing back and forth. And I'm not saying you, you would never find that in a bond. But to me, that's more, it's, it's a more dedicated comedic moment rather than the kind of one-liners and zingers that I'm used to seeing in a Bond movie. I don't know. Maybe it's just how I look at it. No, no, I, I'm, I'm up for it. All right. I mean, it was it was funny, but yeah. Um, then uh, it kind of unfolds that 
Um, Art Malik, who plays Salim Abu Aziz, is the bad guy. Art Malik, also in a James Bond movie, but not a bad guy. Mm-hmm. I, I did not, um, or I don't recall the movie he was in, but I did see he was in a movie. He was in Living Daylights, which was one of the Timothy Dalton 80s James Bond movies. Oh, then I have seen it. I just don't remember it. Much underrated, I think. I like Dalton. I mean, as 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 evidenced by our previous episode with with uh, the Rocketeer. But yep. nevertheless, um, so yeah, so he's the bad guy. He you know puts on this front of being uh, Juno Skinner's employee, this very meek, very um, very not confident employee. But as it turns out, he's kind of a jerk. You know, he asks to see, he, you know, can I have a moment with Miss Skinner, please? And then he closes the door behind her, like secretary, or whatever, and runs up to her and smacks her really violently. And I could swear her cheek was red. So I don't know if they did that like for real or what, but, or maybe it's just me. Um, And it turns out he's really a jerk and he's basically paying her. We piece together over time to import illegal things inside of old antiquities because she's an antiquities dealer. Yeah. So she kind of seems to be like a smuggler. Yeah. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. But like at this point in the movie, it kind of looks like she is being taken for a ride a little bit. Like it doesn't look like that she's necessarily in on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. Or if nothing else, she seems to be deliberately keeping herself from knowing all the details. Like one of those things, oh, I didn't know that was in there. I'm sorry, officer. I I was just moving this man's antiquities into the country. I had no idea that nuclear war had happened to be in there. But whatever. Um, but yeah, so it ends up that Harry leaves the meeting with Juno. He goes uh, with Gib to go home and it they're tailed by some of uh, by what is it? A boo. What is the bad guy's name? Uh, Salim. Sorry. Thank you. I'm thinking of Aladdin for gosh sakes. Um, so well, his name is Salim Abu Aziz. There we go. So, so the bad guy, um, he and two of his henchmen follow Gib and um, Harry towards Harry's house, where Harry's now running late for his own birthday party, just to show where his yeah, family. Yeah, one of those things. Mm-hmm. We want to make sure you'll be home for dinner. You can count on me. No, yep. obviously we cannot count on him. Right. So he puts on the ridiculous glasses, at, to which Gib eventually makes a comment that he looks like Ray Charles, which was somewhat tasteless but kind of funny. And he goes walking into the Georgetown Mall in D.C., holding the transmitter, the camera, such that he can see what's going on behind him. And these two, you know, um, enforcers or assassins or whatever, are following him into the mall and eventually into the bathroom. A lot of smoking in this movie. Yeah, that's true, actually. In fact, he walked into the mall with the lit cigarette, if I'm not mistaken, which took me by surprise because yeah. you don't see that ever. I don't know when he put it out, but he was definitely walking along with it. Then there's a big fight in a bathroom um, with a moment where uh, Harry smashes like a henchman's face into a urinal and says, cool down or cool off, mm-hmm. which again, whilst comedy is very James Bond. That is very James Bond. I, you're absolutely right. And there's a poor, but the, the, okay, so here's another example where it jumps from me from Bond comedy to like comedy comedy is the old guy that's in the bathroom trying to relieve himself, you know, sitting there trying to relieve himself. And he's like caught up in this fight as just kind of an innocent bystander. That to me is where it jumps from Bond comedy to comedy comedy. Yeah. I mean, that is a more comedic moment. This then, so then, uh, 
Salim appears and, and a chase ensues in potentially the greatest chase scene I've ever seen. Genuinely? Horse versus motorbike. I can't tell if you're being sarcastic or if you're serious. No, I am being deadly serious. I loved every part about this chase scene. Good, good. That makes me happy. So, Because it's like on so many different levels. Because one, Arnie is riding that horse. Yeah. No, you can tell it's really happening. Like if if this is a stunt double, then damn, they did a good job of faking it. Because it looks to me like Arnold. It's definitely stunt doubles at some points, but sure. he's still you still see him actually riding the horse. Mm-hmm. And he like, says... To especially G- in the park and in some of the hotel moments. Yeah, and he says to Gib, you know, oh, you need to go here, the other team needs to go there, blah, 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 and you need to hurry because my horse is getting tired. And his face, yeah. as he hears Arnold say that, you're what? Or your horse? It was just hysterical. And so, yeah, to that end, um, they end up getting chased into... or. They chase Salim into a hotel, and sure enough, Arnold goes chasing right after. So this this crotch rocket, uh, this this Kawasaki is is racing through the hotel, and Arnold is on a horse racing through the same hotel. So TM23 in the chat room has just said there is a plaque um, at the Bonaventure Hotel where this took place commemorating the chase. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Huh. I did not know that. That's very cool. Because it is super wild, like, they, they're going through this hotel, there are points where, like, Arnie and all the stunt double, like, have to duck down, or they're going to get their head knocked off. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't true. know how they got this horse to do this. Oh, neither do I, especially toward the very, very end of this scene. Um, which, what ends up happening is, uh, Salim ends up getting in an elevator with the motorcycle and a hostage, and he rides the elevator up to the top of whatever building they're in. I don't know if it's still the hotel or not. Yeah, it is the hotel because Marriott is on the side of the building at the top. He rides it up to the top of the of the building. And in one of those, mm, really, moments, he decides the only way to escape is to drive the hotel off the roof of the building and conveniently land perfectly in the swimming pool the in the next... Uh, yep. Yeah, uh, in the swimming pool in the next building over. It was perfect. Um, Now, naturally, Arnold decides he's going to do the same thing. And he tries to get this horse to to jump. And the horse goes, oh, heck no, and stops at the last possible moment. And it does make for a kind of funny moment. But uh, for a second there, the first time I watched this movie, I thought the horse was going to jump. And that's how this this scene was going to continue. And I was thinking to myself, are you kidding me right now? Yeah, that would have been ridiculous, right? Like, I, I was, like, watching this, and I'm like, are you going to do this? <laughs> are we really jumping the shark already? That's what's happening. Uh, I did, uh, speaking of jumping, I jumped a little bit too far ahead. When they're in the elevators, and Arnold's in the one elevator with the horse and the poor older, older couple, and then Salim is in the other elevator with his hostage, they start this recurring theme throughout the movie of Arnold's, like, I'm going to get you look. Did you catch that? Did, did did you notice that they were like really focusing on Arnold's like I'm going to freaking kill you eyes? Because you see that several times. I they they it was way too pronounced in this part of the movie than mm-hmm. it was in any other. Like they okay. really zoomed in on it. Mm-hmm. Oh, that makes yeah, sense. I didn't notice that. All right. So so anyway, so Arnold's now hanging off the side of the hotel. Because um, the horse stopped at the last possible moment, he flipped over the handlebars, so to speak, flipped over the horse's head, and is now dangling off the side of the of the Marriott Hotel. And so now the question is, what does he do? And he ends up 
he asks, you know, he tells the horse to back up, back up, back up. And the horse eventually backs up. He climbs back onto the roof and he gives the gives the horse a stern talking to uh, with regard to, you know, why, why did you let him go? What kind of police officer are you? Um, I'll let it was it was pretty funny. And that. here again, that's that to me is another moment where we're going beyond just Bond comedy into general normal comedy. At this point, I wonder how Harry hides cuts and bruises from his family. Yeah, I didn't think of that. That's a really good point, though. Like, he has just been in a massive brawl and has been cut in multiple places multiple times with a, a razor. Yeah, and nobody's the wiser. Nobody says anything. Mm-hmm. All right, I want to take a break because we're about to take that weird turn. <laughs> yes, we are. This episode is also brought to you by Fracture. The team over at Fracture wanted me to say a massive thank you to all of you who have been giving Fracture a chance to print your favorite photos directly onto their beautiful pieces of glass. This is what makes Fracture so great. You go to FractureMe.com, you upload your photo, you choose the size that you want, and they will hand assemble it in their Fractury in Gainesville, Florida, and they will send it out to you. And you will receive in the mail a beautiful image which is printed directly onto a piece of glass with some foam on the back so you are able to display it very easily on your wall or on your desk at home. We really love Fracture here. We love the prints that they create. We all have them. It's been great working with them because uh, we also get to see a lot of the pictures that everybody out there have made onto Fractures because they send they send pictures to us. So like people take photos of their photos and they send them to me over Twitter and stuff like that, which I really love to see. So does the team at Fracture as well because they are super passionate on being able to, to create these things for people so that are able to display their memories and their accomplishments with the beautiful glass prints that they create. Now, I mentioned a moment ago that all of these Fracture prints are hand-assembled board, which is worth noting considering that the holiday season is coming up and Fracture wanted me to tell you guys if you're thinking about uh, maybe getting some Fracture prints this December to give to, to some loved ones, you want to make sure you try and get that order in as soon as possible as you hear from when you hear this message because uh, they get very busy over at Fracture during the holiday season. So the sooner that you're able to get your prints in, the sooner you can get them ordered, the less likely you are to have any disappointment this holiday season. So head on over to FractureMe.com to learn more and get started. Rescue those photos that are hidden away on your devices. Pick some to have on show. Pick some to have as gifts. And if you use the code ANALOG at checkout, you will get 15% off your first order and help support this show. Thank you so much to Fracture for the continued support of ANALOG and Relay FM. So up to this point, the movie has been a fairly as much as I keep going on and on about the comedy, a relatively serious, honest-to-goodness action movie. And suddenly things change now. This is about 45 minutes into the movie. This movie is two hours and 45 minutes long. I thought it was 2.20. It's, the point is it's well over two hours. Yeah, it's way too long, I think. <laughs> And Fair then, enough. not because there's anything wrong with it, but it's just too long. That's too long for an action movie like this. Um, and and I think that the reason it is as long as it is is because they decide to tell a really convoluted big story in the middle of this movie, uh, which I think could have been done slightly differently. So, 
Harry decides that because he missed the birthday meal, he would go and surprise Helen at work. And when he gets there, he overhears a conversation where it sounds like she's off to meet a mystery man. Um, and this is where kind of it starts to take this weird turn. It's a very peculiar diversion uh, as Harry is now dealing with the fact that he believes his wife is cheating on him. So basically pauses the hunt for the terrorist, diverts all of his team's efforts on finding this individual. That's kind of the way that it goes from here. And... It gets really dark. So there's like this one point where... Um, he arrives home one evening and is like going upstairs uh, to, to, to like this is because he's going to steal his wife's handbag so like a tracker could be put in it but like the music that they're playing and the lighting of him ascending the staircase it looks like he's going to kill Helen like that is his intention is to go and murder her and it's like I don't know why you're doing this and I especially don't know why you're doing it in this way so it just seems like such a strange diversion. Uh, they end up he ends up tracking the guy down uh, because he follows Helen, and they has this bug in her bag, and he go, and they go, she goes to meet this guy for lunch, and they quickly find out that he is try he is pretending to be a secret agent because uh, he is talking about a story that you read in the paper which is detailing the fight that Harry had had in the bathroom and this guy claims it to be uh, him. Right. So so not only is he pretending to be a secret agent, which in and of itself is kind of ridiculous, and, but he's taking credit for their work, which is, I think, exactly what Gibb says. And, if, and Gibb at one point says something like, man, I'm really starting to like this guy because he just finds this whole thing hysterical. And he had earlier made comments to Arnold about how he's on like wife number three. And it's very clear that Gibb is a very immature and ridiculous view on on relationships and women and so he's just finding gib is finding this all to be hysterical meanwhile arnold is thinking to himself a it sounds like my wife really is having an affair and b she's doing it with this guy that is trying to be me why is my wife trying to sleep with someone who is really trying to be me it's just very convoluted and peculiar um i think that I, I was able to make it through this part so far because I do think it's kind of funny the way they set it up that not only is she trying to be with a secret agent or potentially trying to be with a secret agent, but that secret agent is trying to be Arnold. But it's not too long after this that things took took a bit of a turn for me. Yeah, so it takes it took a turn for me and then it continues to take more turns, which I'm <laughs> not comfortable with. Um there is a great moment where, like, so that you know, the, the the chase is on, as it were, and uh, he meets up with a guy and and you know tries to um, tries to get information out of him, that kind of thing, and, and he finds that he's a used car salesman, and he takes him for like a really dangerous ride in the car, right? Like, Arnie's behind the wheel and he's trying to like find out about the guy, whether he slept with Helen or whatever, and doesn't really find out any information. Um, and then it kind of moves on from here and there's a moment where uh, Harry and Gib are in a car and Harry is reading the transcripts because they bug uh, Helen's phone, naturally. Of course. Um, and he sees that a page is missing. 
So mm-hmm. he like pulls over the car and he's like, give me the goddamn page. And then he like smashes his hand through a car window, which this is why Arnie is perfect for this role. Because <laughs> that's believable. <laughs> yeah. Right. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yes, he could punch his hand through a window. Um, and then they end up find like tracking her down again. Like she's going to meet this guy in the evening and they use a helicopter to chase her. This is completely overkill. Yeah, it's it's totally ridiculous. And it's like I can understand really wanting to find out what's going on with your spouse, but this is in every measurable way completely out of line and really unnecessary. So then there's a scene where like um Simon the creep guy uh, who pretends to be a secret agent convinces Helen to go on a trip to Paris with him because she needs uh, he needs her to pretend to be his wife so he can get through the secret message mission that he needs to go through and she agrees to do it that's because she wants the adventure and he Simon then kind of forces himself on her and Helen is not having any of it and then kind of uh, Harry and his task force dressed in like SWAT gear with balaclavas uh, arrive they rip the wall off of the caravan that they're in uh, and all hell breaks loose, basically. And then uh, Harry and the team kidnap Helen, mm-hmm. take her to this, like to their base, and then yep. interrogate her in a really weird scene. Yep. And this is where it took a turn for me. And I wrote in my notes interrogation who does this to their wife? Like, which she then what? forgets about. Yeah, like it's nothing. I mean, it's just... She uh. never brings it up. Like, she never brings it up. Like, she gets angry at him later when all is revealed, but never seemingly for this. Yeah, yeah. Very strange. Very strange. And the one thing that I do think was kind of enjoyable about all this, though, is the dinner trolling that Harry did to Helen. Like, oh, how was your night last night? You know, the night... Yeah, that's good. I like that. I thought that was hysterical because it was just masterful trolling by by Arnold. Um but anyway, but yeah, like, your night must have been quite exciting. Yeah, exactly. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Um, the interrogation I was pretty uncomfortable with. I, I don't I see what they were going for, I think. But I, I don't know. It just seemed really over the top. And, and because it much. revealed the necessary part, which was that Helen wanted excitement in her life. So they decide to give her like a task to do like a fake mission. Mm-hmm. Again, not 100% sure why, um, but this is a thing. And then she has to pretend to be a prostitute and go to this hotel room, a suite, where Arnie is waiting there and he'd had uh, a French guy in their team do some voiceover work that he was going to play over a tape cassette to, because basically Arnie is in this room and apparently to uh for a husband and wife to not rec- for, for a wife to not recognize her husband all he has to do is just be slightly covered in shadow <laughs> didn't know that well it, didn't it, know that it's not too dissimilar from uh Clark Kent just putting on a pair of eyeglasses and suddenly he is uh, no longer superman yeah I, I i was not willing to accept that she would not recognize him yeah i i agree with you um this is the scene when we were talking about it on previous episodes of Analog. This is the scene that was unequivocally not for younger viewers. Um, it was funny to me, though, that that in the assignment that Gibb, using like a, a voice, um, 
I don't know, mask or uh, the, the assignment that Gib gives to Helen. He tells her to dress sexy and she shows up to the hotel in this like completely ridiculous outfit. But to her credit, ends up looking in the mirror and takes off all this like... Um, I don't even know what you call the material, but all this like frill. Yeah. Frill that takes all this frill off this, this dress. And as it turns out, she looks very, very good. Once she takes off this ridiculous, like 80s style frill. Um, But it also, it showed kind of that, that Helen isn't just this frumpy housewife that they've made her out to be so far. You know, she also has um, not a hidden life, but there's a lot more to Helen than, than I think the viewers were led to believe and certainly more than Harry seemed to to know, despite the fact that they presumably have had intimate knowledge of one another this entire time. Um, so anyway, yeah, so this whole scene. So then she goes into the hotel room where Harry is and uh, basically sh- like strips for him effectively mm-hmm. and like dances provocatively. And I get what they're trying to do with this scene. They're trying to show Helen finding herself and finding her confidence and being and finding the adventurousness that she's wanted. But the whole thing is really weird. Like that it's her husband sitting there making her do it, that she doesn't recognize it's him but does it does it anyway. That like he kisses her, like she he asked her to lay on the bed and he kisses her and she kisses him back and then like she smacks him around the head with a telephone but still doesn't recognize it's him kicks him a bunch but still doesn't recognize it's him that's just a flaw in it but like this whole like scene is just really weird to me like which basically draws like it underlines the fact that I think that this whole thing is strange and especially because all it ends up being is just a set up for them both to be kidnapped I'm like mm-hmm. all of this could have been done differently like it wasn't required to be done in the way that it was done like you could just as easily had him find out about this guy um, she goes to meet him in a hotel bar he says that he's got a room upstairs that he want, needs to meet her in uh, Harry's ch- tailing them the whole way and then you know it ends up being a whole set it was a set up from the beginning and they kidnapped them both yep. it yep. didn't need all of this weird twisted like and I know why they're doing it like it's the whole true lies part um, but I don't th- feel like it was needed for me yeah I, I agree and it's just it's just very awkward, like it by both by design and not by design. Like, you know, at first Helen is very, is not really into it and it's clearly uncomfortable because she should be as far as she's concerned. She's doing this thing that, that really is supposed to be only for your spouse, for some stranger, um, because she doesn't recognize him because he's sitting in a, um, in a shadow. But as it mm-hmm. ends up, um, you know, like you said, she gets, gets her confidence and they end up getting taken together. The one thing I did want to comment though, is I was looking through the IMDb trivia on this and, um, apparently when she falls over at one point and Harry like almost leaps up to help her, uh, according to IMDb, that was completely genuine that she did not intend to fall over. And Arnold really oh, did. That's, that's excellent. Yeah. Really did jump up to help her. But then I guess the both of them had the presence of mind to just roll with it. And I, I thought that was a really delightful um, accident. But And it really worked out really well. Oh, I like that. I like mm-hmm. that a lot. So anyway, so they do end up getting captured together, which was the point of all of this. I, I, I agree with you. Um, I think the whole thing was kind of ridiculous. If for no other reason than her never recognizing him. It's, it's just absurd. 
And to your point earlier, this is about an hour and a half into the movie, and we we had just kind of pa- took a pause 45 minutes into the movie. So to your point, like you said, it's about 45 minutes of just kind of awkward and, and weird. I do think there were some great comedic moments that came out of this, especially, you know, Gibbs' reaction to all of it. But I completely concur that it could have been handled very differently. And also my favorite comedy moment of the whole movie when when Helen, when they're being kidnapped, Helen's like, let me deal with this to Harry. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about because that. Because she believes, you know, it's because of the uh, that she's working for the government, right? Right. Obviously she doesn't know anything about him. Right, let me take our final break. Uh, Please. And then we'll, we'll, we'll go into the final stretch of the movie. So this episode is also brought to you by Red Hat. So maybe it's not news that supported open source is now widely accepted at the highest levels of enterprise computing, but the extent of adoption is probably broader than you think. And most of the open source running in elite data centers is Red Hat. And it's more than just Red Hat Enterprise Linux. Red Hat offers storage solutions, cloud computing, and everything you need for application development, all open source and all enterprise grade. The stats are eye-opening. Red Hat runs in every executive department of the U.S. federal government, every airline, telecom giant, and healthcare company in the Fortune Global 500, the New York Stock Exchange, and every commercial bank in the Fortune 500. In fact, more than 90% of all of the companies in that Fortune 500 use Red Hat for everything, from the critical to the routine. The only thing that's really surprising is how many people who know a lot about technology don't know this. It's almost as if Red Hat snuck in, got comfortable, and quietly transformed the technology business without making a fuss. Sometimes the most disruptive technology is the stuff that nobody uses at first. To find out more about how Red Hat is quietly redefining enterprise technology, visit redhat.com. Red Hat. Build on it, run with it, count on it. So they get captured, and mm -hmm. Tia Carrere seems to be kind of masterminding this to some degree because they end up in what appears to be her private jet. And this continues the, the conversation earlier where Helen thinks she's tr- she's able to um, kind of save the day by explaining, no, 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 you don't understand. We're not secret agents, yada, yada, yada. But she's just making things worse, all while um, Harry is just trying to wheel and deal and get her, get Tia Carrere, um, Juno Skinner, to cut Helen loose so he doesn't have to worry about his wife anymore. They end up, although we don't know where they're they're going geographically, it ends up, we later find out, that they are taken to the Florida Keys, where Salim, is that right? I've already forgotten his name again. Um, the bad uh, guy. Yeah. Um, so yeah. anyways, so Salim and his henchmen are, are putting together a video to show that they have nukes and they are preparing to blow one of these nukes on the Florida Keys. So we end up that um, we see this nuke, we see him try to film his little statement. Um, we see a kind of funny moment where the battery is dying on the camcorder that's filming the statement. Uh, ostensibly, although it's kind of, it, it's not, they don't make a big deal of it, but ostensibly the reason that they brought Harry there in the first place was so that a trusted American official can, can vouch for the fact that these are honest to goodness nuclear weapons. And so they record him saying, I can vouch for the, them as being real weapons, blah, blah, blah. But that's kind of almost, arbitrary it's it's not really a important plot point it seems like they did that just so somebody could say well why the hell did they bring harry there in the first place yeah and there's you know i like this whole part here 
Um, it kind of it. This is the payoff, right? Like all of this is the payoff. Like the idea of the two of them kind of learning this about each other, fighting with each other, like uh, Harry and Helen, and she's like learning all of the things about him. Like now that you know, like she, they he can name this nuclear weapon, and she finally finds out kind of what he does for a living, and obviously she's like super mad at him. Yeah, yeah, but forgets that terrible interrogation. I mean, to her credit, I guess she didn't yeah. know it was him, but still. She for, kind of conveniently forgets it. At this point, it's pretty obvious what's happening, yeah. uh, and then it kind of gets to the point where they uh, they get taken to interrogate to be interrogated, and Harry does a, a, a he gets out of it in true action hero fashion. Mm-hmm. He's picked the lock, um, and this is the point where it's pretty peculiar to me though, like that Helen isn't freaking out when she's seeing Harry kill people yeah. in front of her. Mm-hmm. I agree with you, and um, and I think I mean she. I guess she just rolled with it, but it seemed very weird to me that he like you know threw a sharp object into some guy's eye. He breaks a few dudes' necks, and she's just like, "Oh, cool! That, I didn't realize you were cool, capable of doing that." Um, I will say to go back just a half step. Um, I thought Arnold did a very convincing job of of being a guy like totally high on whatever medication they gave him, the whatever truth serum was. It was surprisingly not cheesy and fake like you typically see in most movies i thought arnold schwarzenegger did a good job with that i also thought the whole idea of you know them giving the the bad guys giving him a truth serum for their own purposes but then leaving him with his wife who has all these questions i thought that was kind of funny and i thought that was well done and you know he tells the the uh torturer slash interrogator exactly how he go, he's going to kill him and you know ostensibly that's the truth because he's had this truth serum and sure enough that's how he does it so anyway, so they get into this firefight with a bunch of dudes and end up watching this um, this big like speech that Salim gives to his men. And Harry goes to try to save the day and leaves Helen with an Uzi upstairs where they were hiding. And at some point, Harry ends up kind of incapacitated and he tells Helen, go ahead and shoot this bad guy that's right next to me. And she attempts to, but drops the gun which was a really kind of unfortunate thing that of course it's the the woman of the movie that doesn't really know what to do and drops the gun like a klutz which i really I wish dealt, i i thought of that less like it's the woman and more like it's just the untrained person and i think that is what was intended but nevertheless you know it was a little bit crummy that that's how it ended up but uh it was a great comedic moment here again more about the comedy less about the action where the uzi starts falling down these stairs after she's dropped it and conveniently in a way that you could only buy in like a comedy movie kills every bad guy, but doesn't strike neither Helen nor Harry. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, goes back to being a, what it's like to be an action hero. There was one part <laughs> that you jumped over that I really wanted to, oh, to mention, which is when they, when they arm the bomb, they cover it in cement, which is genius. Yeah. Why you is can't that? disarm it. Oh, I, that never occurred to me. I figured there was some it's reason. So smart. You can't disarm a bomb if it's encased in cement, and it's still going to blow up and have the same effect. Yeah, oh, I never thought of that. That's that's a really good point. Hmm, I learned something tonight. How about that? So I like you know I like that. All right, so they take out all the bad guys with the magical Uzi. Um, it ends up that they get separated again when Arnold goes to save the day. Um, I think it was Juno captures Jamie Lee Curtis. Arnold um, jo- goes diving off of the docks uh, with a ball of fire that he has created behind him, which I had read somewhere, although I don't recall having seen that when I read 
um, IMDb last night. I had read somewhere that that was a completely practical effect that Arnold really did, that there really was fire behind him and he really did jump off that dock into the water with, you know, moments to spare. But anyway, yeah, that looked practical, like when, especially, like especially when he's swimming and the fire's above him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that, yeah. that looked real to me. Yep. So they end up that Juno takes uh, Jamie Lee Curtis in her limousine on the bridge to leave the Florida Keys, and Harry ends up getting picked up by Gib by helicopter, and they're chasing after the nukes that are now heading away from the Keys, the remaining nukes that are heading away from the Keys and um, into the mainland of the United States. So they're trying to stop them. They're trying to save Jamie Lee Curtis. They end up blowing up this bridge that the nukes are traveling on. There's another comedic moment where there's a, the, one of the nuke vans is teeter-tottering on the edge of the bridge, and all the bad guys realize, oh my God, we're not going to fall into the water. Everything's great. And they get really excited and start laughing about their good fortune. And then a seagull lands on the hood of the truck, which is just enough weight to pitch the truck over the edge and make them fall and apparently explode. Um, So didn't they put the nuclear bombs in those trucks? I thought so, yeah. So if they did, how did it not kill everyone when they blew them up? Well, because it's a different kind of explosion. I don't think a traditional explosion would trigger the nuclear uh, explosion. I think you have to have a very specific trigger go off in a very specific way in order to trigger a nuclear explosion. Hmm. I'm not sure I'm right about that, but that was my that that's how I explained it away. Okay. So anyway, so they have that comedic moment with the seagull, pelican, whatever it is. It ends up that the driver of the limo gets shot when there's a fight between Juno and Helen and another practical effect that apparently was really done by, in this case, Jamie Lee Curtis, um, Arnold hangs off the edge of the, well, we are, we're assuming it's Arnold. That may or may not have been him, but he hangs off the edge of the helicopter. No way was that him. No way. Uh, Yeah. I don't know, but it really was Jamie Lee Curtis who really was getting lifted out of that limo as it falls into the ocean. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. According to IMDb. Well, like when the limo drives off and she... No. That's yep. crazy. Yep. Well, apparently they... I, I forget exactly how it went. Uh, I guess James Cameron and Jamie Lee Curtis both blamed the other in a good way for coming up with the idea. But I guess what was said was, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis, I think, said to James Cameron, like, why would I do this? You know, what, what are you going to be doing, sitting on the sidelines? And he said, no, I'm going to be hanging out of the helicopter with a camera filming you. And so she said, I guess, well, if you're going to do that and you're going to put your butt on the line hanging out of this helicopter, then you know what? I'll do it, too. And I guess, according to IMDb, this was filmed on her birthday and it really did happen. She really did fly out of that limo hanging on to somebody hanging on to the helicopter. Wow. Trippy, right? So anyway, apparently all you need to do to survive a nuclear explosion in the Florida Keys is get off of the Florida Keys and onto mainland America because the nuke ends up going off in the Keys. At this point, we find out that Dana, the daughter, has been taken by Salim some way, somehow. And so Arnold decides, oh, I'm going to jump into a Harrier, which, if I'm not mistaken, is a British-made plane, mind you. And I'm going to jump into the Harrier and go try to save Dana. Yep, and she has, uh, she's in like a building, Mm -hmm. and they've uh, kind of got her, and she takes the detonation key, because spying is in their blood. (laughs) 
<laughs> exactly. And and apparently also flying Harriers, which is a thing that, that Arnold, I guess, had done in the past. I actually love Harriers. When, back when I, the, there was a brief window of time when I actually gave a crap about like military planes and thought they were cool. And uh, the Harrier was probably my favorite plane at the time, which is going to make those who actually know what the, what what they're talking about laugh because by most measures I understood it to be not very agile and kind of not the best fighter jet by any imagination. But the fact that it can take off vertically, I just think is the coolest thing in the world. And, um, when I was a kid, I'll never forget. We were somewhere, I want to say St. Louis and there was a Harrier squadron that was doing something on like a lake or a river or something like that. And I remember looking up and thinking to myself, that is a jet plane that's staying still in the air. How is that possible? And so ever since then, I've had a special place in my heart for the, I believe, British-made Harrier. God save the Queen, Mike. They are quite magical, how they can just take off from standing. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so uh, Arnold or Harry goes to save Dana. She takes the key and is running away from Salim and the other bad guys, ends up on this crane on the edge of a building in downtown Miami. And so she jumps onto Arnold's jet, which conveniently is hovering right beneath her as does Salim. He ends up by a series of randomness um, of maneuvers by, by Harry, ends up attached to one of the missiles, which Harry conveniently says, you're fired, not, uh, this was before Donald Trump, mind you, says you're fired and shoots the missile into the, uh, into the helicopter that ha- carried some of the other henchmen. And at that point, basically all is good and everyone's happy. This your fire joke is so dumb. I thought it was stupid too. There's no context. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't know. I thought it was silly, but apparently it was very popular at the time, as again, per IMDb. I don't get it. Like, he wasn't hired by anyone that he could be fired. Like, for example, if, if Salim worked for the same company that um, uh, Harry works for, then it would make sense that he said, you're fired. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't but, get it. But yeah. Whatever. Um, some closing thoughts. Um, one that I wrote down, if our mutual friend, Matt Alexander, was a spy, he would be Harry Tasker. And the reason I say that is because Harry is constantly apologizing the entire movie. Sorry, sorry. Oh, so sorry. Sorry, 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 so sorry. And it's just, it was hysterical to me how much he apologized the whole movie. Um it it does all work out in the end, though, and it makes me happy that Helen ends up embracing this secret life that her husband has. And so code names Boris and Doris, uh, which were alluded to earlier in the movie, end up becoming the new secret agent, you know, power couple. And they uh, they end up dancing to the same tango waltz, whatever it is, and running into Simon at the very end of the movie, which is a kind of funny moment. Um, I love the movie. I think it's funny. I think it's fun. I think it's 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 just really entertaining. And I really love the blend, as I've said over and over this episode, of the action and the comedy. I just thought it was very well done. The middle 45 minutes were interesting enough to keep me entertained, although I completely agree with you, Mike. It could have been handled very differently and very, 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 very much better. But I definitely yeah. love this movie. And and I I will always watch it if I, if I find it on like TV or something like that. What did you think, all told? I I liked the movie. I did really like the movie. I think that they could have handled things better. I mean, once it all, once you realize what was going on, the payoff was good. Uh, but the whole time, like first forty five minutes, I'm like, what are they doing with this? Mm-hmm. Um, so 
it's interesting. It was a, it was a good movie. Um, it was kind of exactly what I expected in the fact that it was a silly, dumb action movie for a lot of it. But I, I did enjoy it. I did enjoy it. Now, I didn't ask you one important question, though. What did Adina think of it? She really liked it. Good. She liked it more than I did, I think. Oh, yeah? Well, why didn't she have her yeah, on instead of you? Yeah, which surprised me. I don't know. <laughs> no, I think that's awesome. I'm glad that she really liked it. Um, she didn't find all the weird stuff as weird as I did, which I think helped for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I watched it with Aaron. I think she really liked it. Um, I, I wouldn't. I don't know that I would say she, that she liked it as much as I did, but I think... You know, if there's ever a time that that the movie's on and I decide to watch it, I don't think she would, you know, begrudge me for it or anything like that. I think she would sit down and enjoy it with me. Um, so I, I think it was fun and entertaining, um, kind of silly in a lot of ways, which I guess you could say that of all the movies I've asked you to watch. Um, but I really liked it, and and I feel like it stands up pretty well. Like, granted, a lot of the technology is old, like haha Walkman, haha Windows three point one, haha Pagers, but. Nonetheless, I do think it it holds up well. And one thing I forgot to mention was all the CG, or I guess a lot of it was practical, actually, but all the effects with the Harrier, I thought looked great and very believable. And if there was ever a time that you would think that something would look really, um, really fake and cheesy, it would be when Arnold was in this Harrier. And I thought the special effects were great. And I think part of the reason that I'm able to watch this movie, even what, 20 ish years later, is because there's no like glaring, obvious issues with the special effects that just make you go, yeah. oh, you know? Yeah, all of the special effects are good. Yep. All right. Anything else you'd like to add, sir? No, I think I'm good. I, I appreciated this one. You've had some hit and miss uh, picks, <laughs> but this one, this was a good one. Well, sneakers sneakers was a mess, but I thought we said Rocketeer was was a hit. Is that fair? Uh, yeah, Rocketeer. I enjoyed that a lot. And then uh, what was the other one? Uh, yeah, sneakers, sneakers, not so much. And what what was it? Just those two? I feel like there was one more. No, I guess not. All right, so two out of three ain't bad. Yeah, two out of three ain't bad. All right, sir. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you for going on this journey with me. Oh, pleasure. All right, so uh, next week back to regular programming, but um. At this point, since you haven't recorded your, you haven't done your talk yet, even though you will have by the time people listen to this, good luck, and I hope it went well.